Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear in this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for musicians, singers, songwriters, artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated. Check out nhte.net and be sure you are subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends to do so as well. Besides that website, you can also find the show on iTunes, which is Apple Podcasts, as well as on the Google Podcasts app, on Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, on Google Play Music, and for iOS users, the Overcast app. Plus, as I've said many times now, the podcast is available on Spotify, so be sure to follow Now Hear This Entertainment on there. Joining me today on location here in Anaheim, California at the 2019 Winter NAM Show, my guests have been called forward-thinking by the New York Times, NPR called them brilliant, and Rolling Stone placed their first album among the year's 15 greatest. They have received praise from Childish Gambino, among others, and they have appeared on Jimmy Kimmel and have performed with Erica Badu, among others. Just in the last week alone, they have performed in, get this, Tokyo, Seoul, and Berlin. You've been hearing a song of theirs called Why I Love the Moon. It's my pleasure to welcome to now hear this entertainment, Phony Peoples. Hey! Hey, what's up, everybody? Big flex. Uh-oh. Uh, thank you for that intro, Bruce. Absolutely. Guys, uh, just take a minute, if you would, go around the table. There's five of you here if you want to each introduce yourselves. Hello, my name is Matthew. I play the drums in the band. Yeah, yeah. What's good? I'm Elijah Rock. I play guitar. Hey, I'm LB3, and I play the mic. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Barry Bass, and as you can tell from my name, I play the bass. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is AJ Grant, and I play keys in Funny People. Very good, very good. Well, the opening song, Why I Love the Moon, already has 27 million listens on Spotify, which is just awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks so much. One or more of you, just talk about that song since, unfortunately, I was talking over it. Tell the listeners all about Why I Love the Moon. Why I Love the Moon is a song about, it's about, it's about trust. You know, where can you send your love to? Where do you trust that your love won't be violated? So, you know, we send love to people all the time. We send love to things that we're too obsessed with. Uh, we send love everywhere else, but you're not really quite sure that It'll be appreciated, you know? It's a risk. So to avoid all all risks and make sure that your, your love is safe at all times, you send it to the moon. And it'll send the love back and it'll always be there for you. It'll never not be there for you. Even when the sun is out, the moon is, is still there. That's like a lot of times I live in Florida and my parents live in western New York and my dad will say, it's amazing that the same moon that I'm looking up at right now, if you go outside your house in Tampa, you'll look at the same moon that I am. Amen. In Tampa. In Tampa? Yeah. That's cool. That's where my grandma lives. Wow. It's a small world, yeah. after all, as they say over in Orlando, <laughs> an hour to the east of me when I'm at home. <laughs> well, that's good, and I'm glad that you tied that all together because as you started to describe the song, I'm listening, and I'm listening, and I'm going, wait a minute. He's got to eventually tie this into what does that have to do with the moon or with the title, Why I Love the Moon. So just talk about the creative process. Who is the songwriter or the songwriters, plural? Who comes up with these ideas? How are these songs put together and by which of you? I'm Elijah Rock, um, and I'm here to tell you the story of Why I Love the Moon. 
Uh, LB is generally our principal vocal, lyrical songwriter. Um, and that song particularly was, um, was we were trying to get out of our familiar comfort zone. So generally we're at Matthew's house a lot, making music. And uh, we were like, what happens if we leave that environment? So we set up in my dad's apartment, uh, didn't tell him when he went to work, didn't tell the building, uh, put a drum set in the living room, set up stuff in the, the other bedroom, like a and studio. This is, this is where? In what city? This is in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, okay. New York, in Bed-Stuy on uh, Madison Avenue. Madison Street? One of the two. Madison Avenue, yeah. And... Um, we had it in two rooms. Myself and Matthew were in one room with the guitar and drums, and LB and Asia were in another room. And we set up all this stuff, and we, we turned all the gear on just to see if everything worked. And as we turned it on, Asia played those chords, LB sang those words, and that was actually like an original demo, and it was called Summer Eternal. And then we ended up putting... Uh, that's why if you listen to the beginning of the song, it has that different sound quality, and then it goes into a more high-fidelity sound is because it starts as a memo, like a voice memo, and then it goes into the real song on top of that. And I want to explain for the benefit of those of you here at the table. So we've had the pleasure of having the show has gotten listeners from 141 countries around the world. Wow. So there are people who are just being introduced to phony people for the first time. And so for those of you who are just learning about them, when you keep hearing LB3, it's spelled out. It's not the letter L, the letter B, and the number three. <laughs> Co-writing keys and arrangements are handled by, this is sounds very formal, trained composer. <laughs> but I want to bring up, selfishly, for my stepson. Sure. He's a big, was, I guess you could say still, is a big Mac Miller fan. And so I just want you all to talk about the connection and, and how that how that came to be. Yes, so uh, this is Aja. This is Aja Grant. And, uh, yeah, I've I've been working with Mac Miller for three years. And uh, we worked on Divine Feminine together. And um, I did uh, Congratulations, uh, the keyboards and the strings. And I worked on a couple other songs here. And actually, um, LB's, funny enough, LB's playing bass on Congratulations. And um, Matthew's also on the album. He's playing drums on God is Fair, Sexy, Nasty with Robert Glasper. It's funny, funny story is that I originally played those the keys in the intro with Matthew in the studio. And then uh, I, was, I got out the studio and I hated what I did. I was like, oh, man, like this sucks. And, he was like, and I was like, yeah, like, some, like you always work with these big musicians. Like some, some guy like Robert Glasper is going to come in the studio and just like be like, dude, like what is this? And he was like, nah, dude, like, I hate when the older guys come in the studio and, like, you know, just think they can regulate. That's never, that's never going to happen. So I haven't heard with him, you know, I haven't heard the song in, like, two weeks, right? I haven't heard the song in two weeks. I come back. I was like, yo, what's, what's good with the song? Is this song, like, did you get? Because he had told me to stay in the studio. He was like, yo, Kendrick's about to come to the studio. He's about to record a track. So I'm just like, oh, snap, I want to meet Kendrick. I want to, you know, be there. So, like, I waited and whatever. Two weeks later... I was like, yo, so whatever happened to that track? And he was like, he looked at me, he was like, yo, yo, I owe you so big right now, man. Because, you know, I was just in the studio with Robert Glasper and he, I just, oh, I just happened. And he just, he got on the song. I had to take you off. I'm so sorry. And wow. <laughs> no, wow. but, you know, and ever since then, you know, I mean, I worked on the whole album with him. So, like, I'm on the end outro of that song, too, so. I don't know. He was just like a. He was like one of my best friends, you know. And uh, we worked on uh, swimming together. I did two thousand nine, 
and Small Worlds at the the end of Small Worlds. Yeah, he's a cool dude. What can I say? So to further kind of delve into who are phony people, um, two man string section is Elijah and Barry, and it says here in my notes, original School of Rock alumni. I did indeed go to School of Rock. I'm Elijah again. The School of Rock, as as in, as shown in the movie, yes. Well, the movie was based on um, a real place, a real thing called School of Rock. School of Rock started in 1998 by this dude, Paul Green, uh, in Philadelphia. He was a guitar teacher, and he was a little frustrated that some of his students didn't know as much rock material or classic rock material. So he, uh, and, uh, I guess some of his friends also were the same way. Like the, uh, His friend was a bass teacher, another friend was a drum teacher. So he asked them, let's gather all of our students in one place, and I'm sure just yell at them about classic rock for an hour. <laughs> and... Um, Eventually, what ended up happening is he started getting all of the different students to play certain songs together. Uh, and that ended up being the initial concept for something called School of Rock. He started getting them gigs around the city. And it started to become a franchise. It ended up being about like 48 to 50 schools around the country. Wow. And um, I was in the New York school, which was the sixth school. I learned about it in middle school. A friend of mine was already in it. And he invited me to a concert. I was 12. I was like... What? That's so cool. And my friend had a concert. He was doing, uh, I think, like Zeppelin or the Ramones or something like that. And I'd never heard of these bands. So uh, I went and I, he did a Ramones show and I met Paul and it was crazy. And I knew I wanted to be a part of it. Um, I didn't know anything about bands. I remember the application said, what bands do you know? I only knew like Red Hot Chili Peppers or something. And I went in playing bass. And yeah, that was a long time ago. I was 12 and I ended up being in the All-Star program and the Hall of Fame program and all this kind of stuff. So I, I rose up in that and... Um, I am certainly a School of Rock alum. We are all spread out all around the world. I run into some like every two weeks. Outstanding. Wow. <laughs> wow. Barry, anything anything to contribute to all this? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Barry. <laughs> um, I'm probably the only member who didn't get a formal, full formal training uh, in music growing up. Uh, the rest of these guys went to some pretty amazing, uh, like conservatories, summer programs, like Manhattan School of Music, uh, Interlochen School of Rock, uh, Berkeley High School of the Arts. Yeah. Uh, so when I joined the band, they just put a bass in my hand and said, "Here you go." I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> but then through the years, uh, because of their formal training and you know just the brotherhood that we have, uh, they're amazing teachers as well. So we have Elijah and LB who play bass, Matthew on the drums, teaching like the rhythm and timing. Asia with compositional background, so you know it teaches you how to be in the pocket. You know, LB with inspirational words. Elijah's always, but, you know, well, when they handed that to you and said, "Here, play this." Had you already been playing anything, guitar or a little bit of bass? Or? Nothing guitar-wise, but I did, you know, in elementary school, play saxophone, the alto saxophone, for a year. So I, I had a little something. But was it a case of they handed it to you and said, "Here, play this," and you said, "I have no idea what to do." Pretty much. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I think all of us, except for Matthew, you were playing percussion, but I think all of us started on a horn, right? Everyone else in the band? Every, yeah, we all started. I started on trombone. These guys started baritone horn, saxophone. Trump. Yeah, uh, so a horn wasn't my first instrument, but in high school, uh, I was on horn pretty fast. Nah, not middle school. But but actually, Aja was playing baritone horn back yeah. when we met, <laughs> primarily playing baritone horn. And he used to take, 
I remember the first day our music teacher let us take our instruments home, and we had such a hard time carrying those big cases. <laughs> it was like, yeah, baritone horn and, and, and trumpet and bass. I know, because I had to carry it a lot. <laughs> it's crazy. When I met Asia in high school, he was playing viola, and I was playing upright bass. So it's been a lot of wow. everything but what we are doing right now. And let's have Matthew talk, because you mentioned about playing in his dad's apartment when he went to work. But um, tell the yeah. Oh, okay. I was going to say, tell, tell the listeners anyways <laughs> right. uh, who uh, your father is, the, Matthew. Uh, <laughs> this is Matthew, drummer. Yeah, my dad, DJ Jazzy J, Zulu Nation. Um, he's here today. He just finished watching us play uh, for uh, Techniques. But, um, yeah, um, for the longest while, I joined the band in, uh, like, I think, the winter of 2008, something like that. And uh, everybody was rehearsing at uh, uh, LB's house uh, uh, prior and um, when, when I got in the band, I remember we played our first show at Murrow, and I was like, yo, let's just move everything to my basement. It was the biggest spot. My parents are both musicians. My father's, you know, DJ. My mother's a, a classical flautist and pianist, and uh, as well as my sister, who's a double read wow. major wow. at Eastman. And uh, my oldest, uh, old, she's my oldest sister, but my middle sister, she's a dancer. So, you know, the music is in yeah, there. Yeah, for sure. So, um, uh, the whole house, even attendants, just nothing but music. They they love to hear it. And your father, quote unquote, made you listen to some quote unquote pretty old music. I'm talking about James Brown, Bill Withers. Just talk about how did the whole group come together, and and then obviously, how did you come up with the name Phony People, spelled P P L. And, um, that, and this question's for anyone that wants to answer how y'all came well, together and how I, you came I, up I with think, the name. I think the people that put it together should, should answer that. Okay, so the name Phony People came about in 2008. It was uh, AJ Grant and I on the phone for a long time just figuring out what we're going to call ourselves because we already were a unit, and we've been making uh, beats together for like four or five years already at this point. But when you say we already were a unit, do you mean the two of you or everybody? Everybody was was, was already uh, a unit as far as who you see here. Uh But... um, yeah, Elijah wasn't there yet. But uh, everybody else was a unit, and we already signed up and uh, got accepted to be in our high school band's uh, show. So it was called Guitar Fest. And that Guitar Fest in Murrow, Edward R. Murrow in Brooklyn, was our first show. So we got in, and it was amazing. And then it was like, yo, they're printing up the flyers for this event, <laughs> and we have to have a name. So what? We got to call ourselves something. Our <laughs> yeah, so we. I don't like how Jeff it was, it was, uh, so besides just getting a name to have a name, it was a little bit of, <laughs> I said, it, I'm now thinking about, it was like the first professional phony people meeting. <laughs> yeah, over the phone. And, 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 um, you know, besides just coming up with a name just to have one, it was the pressure of, of that flyer needing to say something. So after like hours and hours of saying whatever we saw, like, yo, the blue carpets, the white walls, the, 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 you know, whatever, whatever, the, the. Yeah, the clear, the the, the clear yeah, yeah. window. All of that. The Kill Kasabians, the smoke blunts, you know, all of that stuff. And, and nothing, nothing, nothing fit. Nothing felt good. And then uh, my mom had to use the phone. This is back before cell phones. So my mom had to use the phone, so we had to get off. And then I was like, oh, real quick, uh, phony people, what you think? And uh, I was like, eh. Adrian was like, eh, I don't know. I was like, yo, let's just try. He was like, all right, we can try. So because he was willing to try, and I, and I just said it. It never felt wrong. Wow. And we were always waiting for that moment for a long time for it to feel wrong, and wow. it never did. <laughs> wow. That's cool. So getting back to the question, Matthew, that I was asking about your father making you listen to the old music I was referring to, 
how has that continued to influence you? And then I guess who else do you count among your influencers? Um, so my dad would stop our rehearsals in the middle of, of just us playing a song. Be like, everybody just stop, stop, stop. Come into the studio and listen to this. One specific time he made us listen to this Mandrill record called Honey Butt. And, and I remember all of us just in the studio like, oh, my God, you hear the, the bass drums, you hear the low, the mix, everything. It was just so groovy and so funky. And, and on countless occasions, like, he made like he just helped us. Uh, he, he made us, you know, just go and, 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 and listen to these records to, you know, just for a little inspiration, a little influence. Like, listen to how this drummer is playing this. Hear the, hear the groove wow. here. Or like, wow. see how the singer is doing this. Or listen to how the piano player is, is, is constructing. You know, all of these things just to... Uh, kind of bring it back and be like th- this this is the time that music was you know you had the live bands you had people actually practicing and like making really cool things on their instrument not just with a vst or like a plug-in or anything like you had to be good you know so he uh he just wanted to instill a lot of that in us and all of our parents you know but i'm curious you're going to give a different answer than the other guys would because it was your dad but i'll just i'll just say because he's sitting next to you how did that make you feel of someone else's dad saying get in here stop your rehearsal come and listen to this music (laughs) i think we stopped thinking of matthew's parents as other parents a long time ago Uh, as far as i'm concerned They've been like my second parents since I walked into that house. So I've never really had the, the separation feeling of like, it's basically like my dad doing the same. It's like all of our dad doing the same thing. So it's it's literally second nature walking in that. It's like you sign a verbal contract when you walk in there. Nice. You know? Nice. I was, yeah, I was going to say shout outs to Mama Bias, Jazzy, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, having them around in the, the space in the house and Matthew inviting us over all the time is definitely an important part, I believe, to why we are here today, you know, wow. because it provided a space for us to go to every day after school for like a couple years, you know, and that's pretty much where we got close to our 10,000 hours, you know, of, uh, 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 you know, rehearsal and just playing together, practicing so that now it almost feels like we're psychic <laughs> with each other on stage, but that's good. Yeah. There's a lot of time, good. you know, and a lot of, uh, care and criticism definitely from Jazzy and Miss Bias, who's also a pianist, right? And I do want to let the listeners know that on the topic of repetition, that you've heard me say this for lots and lots of time now, and especially on these last several episodes recorded live here at the Winter NAM show, that I have to thank Tascam for the great equipment that not only enables me to sit down and record with phony people, but the equipment that I have when I'm not on location, whether it's my audio interface, that's the Tascam Mini Studio Creator, the US-42. I use different microphones there because I like the low end that it gives me, but here on location we're using the TM60 microphones, and this is only scratching the surface. If you go to the Tascam booth here at the Winter NAM show, which obviously the listeners won't be able to do because this comes out well after it, but what I'm saying is if you're a listener and if you're doing music of any kind, whether you're a hobbyist, whether you're just getting started, if you're a pro, I mean, there's people that have been on this show that have talked about Tascam gear because they've been in business for more than 40 years. So check out everything that they have, whether it's a mixer, whether it's something to record your live shows with, even if it is just a handheld recorder to perhaps get some song ideas into. Go to Tascam.com, which is T-A-S-C-A-M.com, and check out all the recording solutions available from Tascam. I'm wearing Tascam headphones, 
And the guys are smiling. Y'all must be Tascam users yourself. I got Tascam pants on right now. (laughs) I got to add something to that. I am a huge fan of the Tascam 688. And these consequences that are on my Ah. neck right now, are they were created on the Tascam 688 back in Brooklyn. Uh, The 688 is on our album. There's a song called Think You're Mine. The, The guitar and the vocal was recorded through some gear straight to tape. Eight track cassette, amazing. And um, I used the the, the uh, four track as well, the blue the blue four track, the Porter Studio, amazing. The four twenty four Mark two, Mark three, and um, yeah, Tascam is is so, is so much a part of our our life. Yeah, Agent Ground the Keys has the six forty four in his house, and um, we just we just are Tascam heads. You know what I mean? I actually just found out about this mic. I'm trying to get this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> See what it's about. I think it, is it the Porter Studio? Yeah, 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 yeah. The digital Porter Studio for for my for my I think it was my fifteenth birthday. My father bought me the 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 Porter Studio wow. sixteen, and um, I, I, it's actually on our Mosaic album. I recorded drums on either way there. Man, Tascam, shout out to Tascam. My father loves you guys as well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so Tascam is amazing. Company. Well, you mentioned the Mosaic album, but I want to talk first about the Yesterday's Tomorrow album, which came out in 2015. It hit number six on the iTunes R&B chart, and the media applause just rolled in from there. That's uh, You heard me, listeners, in the intro. I was saying the New York Times called the band Forward Thinking. NPR said brilliant. Rolling Stone placed their album among the years. 15 greatest you know i feel silly saying how did that make you feel because obviously you know to get that co- but at the same time you know just kind of talk a little bit about do you know how that happens i mean is there a, an agency someone working for you that submits it and you get this kind of feedback or did it just kind of happen organically you know that album specifically was a, it was a challenge all around because uh we had gone through some personnel changes some some members gone and some different people on the team and uh one of the members being on was was uh the principal singer of the band so we weren't sure how we were going to move forward with 80 percent of our catalog being gone and uh it was just a it was a deep moment so we spent a good amount of time trying to figure out what we can that's why we were doing things like getting out of the basement and going to try in different places and stuff like that and uh a really good friend of ours adrian simon uh invited us out one day randomly to uh, a party in montauk new york and we almost didn't go we went and almost got in a car crash on the way there and got there and the party got shut down real fast but it ended up being a, a where we recorded a lot of yesterday's tomorrow um just overlooking an ocean. It was very beautiful. It was very serene. And if not there, we were at his his place on Central Park West in like 69 or something like that. And um, yeah, in addition to that, we had a good friend of ours, Benamine, let us come in every day uh, after the studio had closed at Rubber Track Studio in Brooklyn, the Converse Rubber Track Studio, and let us run everything through his, uh, his API board just to give it a little bit more consistency while we were tracking. And so a lot of that album happened because of just good old-fashioned love and kindness from friends. And um, when the album was done we had finished all the tracking we had all the songs we'd had it mastered and all that side of it um i remember there was such a push for us to put it out because there was so much happening in the band and we hadn't put anything out in a while so 
our manager was like, let's throw it out right now. But we were like, let's give it a little more time because it's like November or something like that. And like no one's going to listen to it if it's the end of the year. So we did our own rollout. We Every single day, myself and Matthew and uh, another uh, friend, PJ, would sit every single day and get footage that we could and write stories to them and put it on Instagram and put fun facts about ourselves on Twitter every day and count down the album and hashtags and all that kind of stuff for like two months going up to the album. We had we set up a show uh, around the same time that the album came out, so we just wanted to do as much as we can to make sure everyone knew it's coming out this day. And so I think we did so much of that that naturally by the time it came out, organically a lot of our friends and a lot of the support just lended us, um, just uh, got us a little bit more notoriety than we thought would happen. But when you talked about the change in personnel and you said 80% of our catalog went away, was that for ownership reasons of of who owned the songs? That was just like we, I didn't, it never crossed our mind to like sing someone else's song. Like, okay. 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 Yeah. So yeah, that was Elijah just now. This is LB3. Um, we like organic things and we like to try other things too, which may not be organic. But um, these songs were, like, from the um, other vocalists were, it was sung in such a way that uh, not even just my voice, but any other voice would be a different reason. You know what I mean? It would make the song different in a way where people have already uh, learned to love these songs and hold them close. Okay. And it would have been like covering a song in a way. And just as organic as it was when that person was singing it, it was was like, okay, we're not even going to touch that. That, that was a time that happened and we all hold that time near and dear but it's time to step up or die well and I'm glad that you explained that and it's the same reason why I asked about the, the 80% was it ownership because there are a lot of listeners of this show who are themselves up and coming performers that are trying to learn from the guests and learn from myself and so that's an important lesson for them to learn that sometimes it is okay to say you know what those, kind of, those songs kind of have their own personality and we're doing something a little bit different but I also want to make sure the listeners understand that sometimes it is because of somebody owns the songs right. and that person goes. Right. But that wasn't this case. Right. But actually, we, we were um, exper- I remember we had this one rehearsal. We booked even outside of Matthew's house, which we usually rehearse at. We booked a rehearsal uh, spot in, a, in a, uh, Manhattan just to get away. And we went through the whole phony people discography at the time. And we were left with about like two songs I think literally that we could actually perform so we went from doing like 45 minute sets or hour sets to 8 minutes maybe of just oh what gosh. we could do so it was like Whoa. you know we're that's gonna, a wake up call that's kind of scary yeah <laughs> and we tried that's when we found out that those songs uh, which were from uh, the, the previous times that's when we said okay we could just perform these but that's not what we're gonna do we're, it's a new day and, th- and then and then you say okay here we go we got, we got some work to do oh yeah cause <laughs> I, I never I never was a lead vocalist, you know, and I had to learn with with help from the truth and them telling me what's what's real and what I need to do, you know. Um, that's just how how it happened. Just so had to then, find our own. for the benefit of those listeners that I just referred to, who are up and coming performers, talk about uh, and I'll just I'll just pick one name, Erica Badu, since I mentioned that name in, in the beginning. How do, how do you get the opportunity to perform? And there's there's others on this list, but just just the Erica Badu example. Uh, this is Elijah again. Um, Erica, there was a time where we were tour- we were doing a lot of support for people, so we were touring with like the Roots and Erica Badu, and just opening for a lot of that genre, a lot of that neo soul legacy, um, because that was where I think a lot of people felt we fit at that moment. 
And so we were just pitched to those people, and she was kind and gracious enough to let us do it a few times. And who would that have been that would have pitched you? I'd, uh, probably our booking agent, Kara Lewis. Okay, okay. Um, and shout out to Kara Lewis. Uh, and yeah, she. Every time we've seen her, she's been very kind, very um, supportive, and always has really nice things to say. And Kara Lewis Group, sorry, that's that's the agency. Kara <laughs> Lewis is our agent, right? <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that that's really how some of those situations have come up in the past. I think now it's a little bit. Um, more of an artist-to-artist connection that has been happening lately. We've been meeting more people and uh, meet, making those connections naturally that way. And, and explain, when I, when I mentioned that you received praise from, among others, Childish Gambino, where, where does that come from? That was from? news to me, honestly. When you said that, I was like, oh, word? Oh, cool. <laughs> okay, well, the other one is Tyler, the creator. Do you, do you, do you know that one that, that you received praise from? When I Yeah, I remember how that uh, sort of relationship started uh before yonkers before the whole shebang went down for odd future tyler had hit up asia when we were very early i think it was 2009 with odd future material because of a mutual friend and um he was asking for advice on certain songs and certain material because they had heard of meaning us. because asia is a producer uh-huh he wasn't asking me for advice. Sorry about that, but he was more like I, he was just he was looking at just like because you know it was like this was like when the internet and just communication of like younger musicians was just you know it just became a thing. It just started, and, you know, like it was like the age of Tumblr and MySpace, and he was just like kind of like looking at the new generation, and he saw that you know you know odd future. And phony people had a thing, you know, just like well, phony. Well, our future was, you know, become big. He was like, "Yo, he just loves what we're doing as well," and he just reached out and was just like, "Yo, man, I, yeah, I, I really, you know, like this is this is gonna be a big thing, like, just like this whole movement here of, of this age." Since you have the microphone, I, I wanted to ask, but you can you can handle this one. Yeah. But uh, appearing on Jimmy Kimmel Live, how fun was that? Oh man, it was super fun, man. It was crazy. Wait, is that the one with Fetty Wap? Yeah, that was crazy. Actually, it was thanks to 300. It was before we signed to them as uh, the record label, the record label. And um, it was it was crazy. We we played with Fetty Wap. We've never met him before. Well, we've met him like real very brief at South by, uh, I think, the previous year, the same year. I can't remember for the previous year. I don't I don't have the cap. And, um, yeah, we went there. We were supposed to play one song, and he was supposed to play another song after we played. But it was funny because when we were in, like, sound check, like, by the time the second song, you know, when he when it was like, all right, guys, play the second song, we we're just like, all right, well, we're done. So he's on the mic, and he, like, looks back at us, and we're just like, what? Like, yeah, he was smiling so hard. He was just like... And we're just like, wait, what? I, and we just like immediately just started like grabbing whatever headphones we can. And was like, yo, we need to like learn this, this song. Like we're about to play this on like live TV. First time we've ever played on live TV. So uh, it was it was a very just adrenaline driven moment. You know, it was very amazing, though. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Felt like. Yeah, it did. Yeah, well, this is it. This is it. Yeah, so we learned it on the spot. 
Phony People also has their own residency at New York City's legendary Blue yes, Note. Yes, we do. Uh, so, so explain explain how that schedule works. Uh, the next residency starts on March second, and it's every Saturday. Uh, so every single Saturday, bring a date, come drink tequila with us, and we're gonna try to make every show a very special night. And that will run for how long? From That'll March run for until about two months. So into May, uh, right into the beginning of May, I believe. Okay. And at the same time, fun fact, we'll be recording the next project simultaneously or recording ah, ideas for the next project simultaneously. Okay. okay. So the Blue Note has been like a very special place for us in terms of uh, Mosaic. And I know for this next album moving forward, because we're allowed to every Saturday or have a consistent gig where we can try out a lot of songs that we're creating, see how the crowd responds to that song. And um, yeah, shout outs to Alex Curlin. He hooks us up there all the time at the Blue Note. And, um, yeah, it's, it's like for, for us of the recent years, it's been like a beautiful, beautiful spot for us to be. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah, I think the Blue Note definitely I would credit for a lot of just being able to work out the material that we have uh, right now and for Mosaic and being able to test them out in a very calm, uh, controlled environment with, you know, a smaller audience. And it's such a legendary place, you know, uh, in New York City that it's always an honor to sort of play there. And this will be our third residency there. And, you know, just moving forward, it would we would love for that to be a thing that we sort of do annually, you know, always come back home and have like a home base thing and just be like a great hangout, like chill, you know, type of event. You know, and listeners, you've heard a few references to their Mosaic album. I'm going to ask the guys about that particular album in just a minute. But right now, I want to reset. We are on location at the Winter Nam Show in Anaheim, California. My guests are Phony People. Check out their website at phony-ppl.com. We will have a link to it from the show page for this episode on nhte.net. Obviously, they are very much on social media as well. Interact with them on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. And you can certainly stream their music on Spotify, as you just heard. They'll be at the Blue Note starting in March, every Saturday. So if you're going to be in the area or if you live there, do make sure that you make plans to go and see them. As for this show, we are on social media, too. All those same four major platforms, as I call them. Just start at nhte.net and click on the icons for Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or Instagram. I very much appreciate all the engagement, likes, comments, private messages, Look forward to chatting with all of you, and the listenership subscriptions really mean a lot to keep this show going. So uh, please talk back with me, suggestions, comments, compliments, whatever you got. Bring it to Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or Instagram. Just start at nhte.net to find the links to get over to those. The album Mosaic was recorded over four years in various locations and uh, self-produced by the band and mixed by Grammy Award winner Q Million, who here's a little bit of here's a little bit of NHTE trivia. Back on episode eighty five of this show, the guest was Jillian Spear. And who did she work with? She worked with Q Million. Q Billion. Q Zillion. Shout out to Q Billion. The Mosaic album, it was a blend of soul, funk, R and B and more and as I said, a, a very big project in terms of this wasn't something that y'all got together and knocked out in the course of a few months. No, we, we wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
We had too many songs. We just, we had to strip it down. Talk about that process. You know, at what point do you say this is too much? And then how how you do have a, you do have an odd number, so there's not going to be a tie vote. So somebody can say, I think this song should go. It, it was a. Yeah, it was a it was a classic day where uh, our manager sitting right over there. He came to Matthew's house, put a big chalkboard up, and said, "All right, enough of this. You have thirty songs. Which songs are going on? Which wow. aren't?" So we just worked backwards from like what's definitely going on, and we left the other side of it. And as a result, now working on this next one, we still have a ton of song ideas. They're so really like, worth thirty, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Easily. I remember we had so many songs because we wanted to, we had this idea to do like this kind of double kind of feeling situation where it's like one side was kind of this feeling and the other side was more of this feeling and uh, we we took kind of we could kind of didn't know how to really put it together so that's why we had to start chopping down and like really placing things where where it could be and. Um, you know, a lot of the songs that didn't make it to, to this one, we're now revamping and trying to repurpose. I was going to ask you what happened to some of those. Yeah. Yeah. So we're repurposing a lot of those songs to, to, to fit on, on this project. Pro, pro, yeah, and still, so go have 60 songs eventually. And, but yeah, we, 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 we make a, a lot of songs and have a hard time putting them together. <laughs> we started working, this next project, a fun fact, where is, will be the first time that we're attempting to work with just like a big external perspective influence. Uh, he's sitting right over there, the man himself, Ivan, uh, the producer we've been working with recently. We really like some of the stuff that's been coming out, so for sure. Oh, yeah. No, I just pretty much wanted to say that. Like, uh, we're, we're working with the, with the Ivan Barrios, uh, the Grammy Award-winning producer who worked on uh, Music Soul Child's first two albums, like, this is an honor. I grew up on that music, so. <laughs> well, while you have the microphone and while we're talking about the Mosaic album, the video for Way Too Far has been on YouTube for two months, and yet it already has a half million views. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, we, we didn't even. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, that was. Uh, who wants to talk about that one? With Joe? Yeah, no. So, yeah, we worked with Joe, you know. He. Uh, but is there someone among the five of you who kind of takes the lead when it comes to a music video in terms oh. of what you wanted to look for, or is it we all kind of contribute in, in, equally? In terms of music videos, we really do have an external sort of source. Like, even for Yesterday's Tomorrow, it was amongst friends. Like, um, uh, we had Antonella, we had... Oh, the videos, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we, we, we have, um, for Yesterday's Tomorrow, we had uh, a hard time making visuals happen. So uh, a bunch of friends who had cameras and ideas and a little bit of experience, just, you know, let's meet together in this room and figure out what this is about. And um, any ideas that come up from, like, externally or internally, they, they all go through the phony people uh, conveyor belt of making it fit, <laughs> you know, because if someone just comes up with an idea, it's going to be, it's probably going to be a great idea. But to make it all feel comfortable for all five of us it's gonna have to go through some some pushes and pulls you know to make sure if it's right yeah, so i, I like think that. almost every video i got you every video goes through that i like that yeah it's very democratic all of the videos for yesterday's tomorrow except for uh smoke to get sober uh i gotta say a big shout out to our friend adrian lau because he was generally the connection he connected us to he connected us to yasha and roxana aka yashana and he connected us to antonella yeah, uh, uh, Smoke to Get Sober was a, our friend Chris Santiago. Um, but all of that, again, it was in the same vein as everything else that was happening with that album. It was all favors and friends and no one getting paid. 
I, and I just wanted to speak to the videos on Mosaic. Uh, Mosaic was probably uh, the the music videos on Mosaic probably the most money and big budget that we've ever experienced while creating music videos. Way too far. It was definitely, without a doubt, the biggest like uh, a production that we've ever experienced while shooting a video. Super long hours, like wardrobe and like uh, a warehouse and like sets build and models brought in makeup. So. Uh, you know, obviously moving forward, we're not going to run into those crazy problems. Well, I was going to ask you that because when you set the bar that high, is it darn, now we have to stay here or even beat it? Or can you dial it back and say, we don't have to always do all of our videos that that elaborate? I I, I think we don't. And, and all of us have like like very creative, like small ideas that, that, that emotionally impact you with just like, a table and a chair and like a proper, you know, yeah, the right visual will exactly. convey what you need it to. So, um, you know, we, 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 it, not everything needs to be, you know, fireworks and, you know, but, um, everything, everything's going to be, uh, emotionally felt and, and it's going to, it's going to have a purpose, you know? Yeah. I was going to say, uh, speaking to the way too far music video, uh, we definitely used our connections with 300, uh, for that music video and for before you get a boyfriend, and also something about your love for the Breaker show. Uh, uh, that was those were all connections from 300. I know Joe Wheel worked on uh, worked on uh, the the Way Too Far music video and had a really elaborate concept about the floors moving and the building going. And we were sitting at a lunch right here in L.A at the Roosevelt Hotel, <laughs> and he just like, broke it down like, this is what I want to do, and then we were like, oh, okay, this sounds cool, and then over the next couple of weeks, we started pitching in our ideas and building and crafting the music video together, almost like how we did the songs, but with Joe at the lead, and it sort of built itself all together, and then when it came to shoot it back again here in L.A., it was just a fun process of working with external actors and 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 uh seeing the visual effects that was a whole other side to it we had to go back and forth a lot to try and really make it perfect you know just like how we try and make the songs you know hit and impact everyone in a certain way nice well we're in the home stretch here i do have to mention the good people like boulder creek guitars which is the type of guitar that i play which is the type of guitar that Wow, some really big names play. As you've heard me say, listeners, if you hear this show regularly, you know that you can probably say the names with me. And a lot of them have been on this show. We've done interviews with Dave Jenkins from Pablo Cruz, the bass player for Pat Benatar, the bass player for Emmy Lou Harris, the bass player from saying a lot of bass players. Boulder Creek Guitars does guitar, bass, and ukulele. They have a suspended bracing system that makes their instruments very unique. I highly suggest that you watch the videos, listen to the interview that I did with Jeff Stramitz, who is a regular gigging musician just like everybody else, but he also is the president and CEO of Boulder Creek Guitars, and he talks about how their guitars are made and how they're able to get such good sound from them, and that's what I like about playing the Boulder Creek. It's just the warm tone that it has, the great sound that it has. Look at bouldercreekguitars.com for a list of dealers, for their artist roster, and for more information, it's B-O-U-L. D-E-R, bouldercreekguitars.com. Fellas, I want to know, is this your first NAM show? My, my, my parents have been like, you boys need to go out to NAM, like, ever since we've been coming to the house. I think the first time I came, I'm Elijah. The first time I came was 10 years ago, so this might be the anniversary. Well, I know that phony people performed here today. 
But w- what else were you looking to accomplish while you're at the NAMM show over this four-day event? I, I think... Honestly, the full extent of the music nerd in all of us is yet to be expressed, <laughs> and it's it might. There's not enough time. Is my point. There's not enough time for. We want to be here for a long time, and I, we haven't even really been able to like fully look around because we got here and we had to go set up for our show. But after this interview, and the and the Nam show itself is huge. Oh, it's huge. It, yes, it was. A great fun show. D'Angelico has been the best company to us ever. Shout out to D'Angelico. Shout out to Head Rush. They are the best people ever, and they have a fantastic showroom in New York City. Well, and this has been fun talking with you guys. Final question before we wrap up. We are going to close with a song of yours called Something About Your Love. So first, please tell the listeners what this song is all about. Something About Your Love is about that indescribable quality that two people share in a relationship that compels them to want to examine if it has to be over. It could stay together for all the wrong reasons or all the right reasons, but there's something about that love that you share that just makes you look, you know, sometimes you look at them and you're like, just never, I never want to see you again in my life, but there's something holding you back. And also it's about a a rock solo. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well said. Well, guys, as I said in the intro, in the last week alone, y'all have performed in Tokyo, Seoul, and Berlin, and now here you are in Anaheim, and I'm really grateful that you made time to sit down with me. Thank you so much. Of course. I'm going to cheat a little bit, but I think I've also done pretty good with the visuals here, so let's see. Asia, LB3, Barry, Elijah, and Matthew. Thank you. Thank you to the five of you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks to the five of you for your time. Really appreciate it and continued best wishes. You guys are doing great things, and I know it's going to continue. Yeah, absolutely. Listeners, that will do it for this week's episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to the five guys here from Phony People. Do check out their official website, phony-ppl.com. We will put a link to it from the show page for this episode on nhte.net. Do connect with them on social media, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. For that matter, tell them that you heard them and their music. I now hear this entertainment. Their music is streaming on Spotify. Don't forget about the residency at the Blue Note in New York. And don't forget to engage with our show on social media as well. Start at NHTE.net. Look for all the social media icons, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. I look forward to your feedback on the show, your comments, suggestions. Uh, send direct messages if you prefer that instead. And I want to thank you all very much for listening. And to those of you who subscribe, we'll send you out today with another song from Phony People. This is the one that the guys just talked about. It's called Something About Your Love.
Something. 